Welcome to Ag PhD Radio. Broadcasting from the Morton studio today, I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. Getting harvest updates from around the country today on the program. We would love to hear from you at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. I know we're out doing some harvest in some of our research plots today, and that's always a fun thing when you get some yield results, especially when you're trying new products, different products, making comparisons out there. I know just looking at standability, one of the things that's been standing out in a lot of the population studies that we've done, lower populations held up a lot better when we had wind, when we had hail in different parts of the country and I wonder what things are like for you. What are you learning from your trials that you've got? Again, our phone lines are going to be open, 844-44-AG-PHD. Uh, if you want to share what's going on, or if you just want to share how harvest is going on your farm, because I know it gets to be so much and just a lot to do. Maybe you want to just talk about it a little bit. I know I've talked to a few farmers who've said, I've just been cooped up in the combine. I'm just happy to talk to anybody right now. All right. So I'm Brian Hefty, and that's Darren, my brother. We are live in the Morton studio today, just talking harvest a little bit on the show today. So if you want to give us a harvest update from your farm, that'd be great. Again, our phone lines are open, 844-44-AG-PHD. I'm going to jump to the phone lines right now. we got John calling in from Minnesota. Hey, John, how are you? Hey, good. How are you guys doing? Excellent. So I hear you have a question uh, about nutrient stratification. Yes, uh, I called you guys about a year ago, and I end up, we've got a cattle operation, and we have to put manure on top. We don't like injecting it because the custom guys are too aggressive. It's too deep and too rough or whatever, but we put mm -hmm. it on top. Okay. So my question was, at that time, are we getting a nutrient stratification? So I took some soil tests. 0 to 6 and 6 to 12. Okay. So I got some numbers here. I'm just curious if it is a problem or if it isn't. Well, one of our concerns would be on this nutrient stratification thing, how much is in the first couple inches or maybe three? So 0 to 6 is a good test to run, and that's kind of standard. But a lot of times when we start talking nutrient stratification, we talk testing like either the top two inches or the top three inches. And I'm not saying on lots of spots or anything, but if you even took a couple of spots and just tested in the, yep. so like right where you did that zero to six, for example, or any zero to six, take a zero to two or a zero to three and let's see how much is in that. But anyway, go ahead. What do you got? Oh, so like on the phosphorus, you know, the top six are 76 and the bottom six were 32 okay. and 65 and 45. And like the uh, wait, what's the sixty-five and forty-five? Uh, sixty-five oh. would be the top six inches, forty-five. Okay, the bottom so that's sample two. Okay, I got you. Yep, sample yep. one and sample okay. two. Okay, go ahead. And then on the potash, we got three seventy-five the top, one fifty-three yep. on the bottom. Yep, and two eighty-two and one thirty-two. Okay. And the interesting part is the calcium. It's the zero to six is actually lower than the bottom six. We got yep. 66 and 72 compared to 62 to 69. Yep. Yeah, so, and that, that makes a lot of sense uh, because, okay. let, and the reason why is how much calcium do you usually add as a fertilizer other than manure? Nothing, right? Nothing, right? Right, yeah, yep. So anyway, so that, that doesn't surprise me at all. And would I say that just by you telling us these numbers that you, you have a nutrient 
stratification problem, it doesn't really look too bad. Phosphorus is the one we worry about the most. And, you know, like on, on your second sample where it was 65 in the top six inches and 45 in the next six inches, that's actually pretty decent. I, I mean, what what phosphorus test are you running here, or, or which one is this? Is this an Olson test, a Bray test? What is it? That's uh, a Bray. Like a weak Bray or a strong Bray, a P1 yeah. or a P2? Weak? Uh, that's the P1. Oh. Yeah, the P2. Yeah. The P2 is 94 and 44 and 88 and 65. Yeah. Yep. So, no, those are actually pretty good numbers, don't you think, Darren? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yep. I, I, I mean, I would say those are good numbers. They aren't excessive. They aren't um, too low. So that's usually what we would be shooting for, uh, something like that. I mean, I, it all depends on your yield goal and everything. But yeah, that to me doesn't signal that, oh, I've got this major stratification problem. If let's say you had in the top three inches, like, okay, the very first test you read me was 76 in the top six, 32 in the next six. That's not bad at all. So if it was instead like 76 in the top three inches, and in the next, if I went three all the way down to 12 and it was like 15 or 20 or something, I'd say, yeah, we're getting kind of stratified, but you're not in too bad a shape. So I'd, I'd say overall that looks pretty good. The potassium can actually move down in the soil more than phosphorus. So I don't worry as much about nutrient stratification with potassium. I mean, it's still a concern, um, especially because so much potassium has to go into the plant for big time yields. But it, it, what you're telling me isn't isn't terrible. Now, let me ask you this. What's your base saturation potassium percentage? Do you have that by chance? 6.3 uh, on the first sample, 2.2 two on the bottom, yep. and 4.4 four and 2.1. Yeah. So that would be the one, you know, if there was a way to get a little more potassium down a little deeper, but your top six is good. So I, you're you're... You're you're not in bad shape at all. I, I'd say you know overall this looks pretty good to me. Okay. All right. All right. And our uh, if you wanted a harvest update, I, I think most guys finished up beans this weekend. Awesome. And uh, they're hitting the corn pretty hard. Our yields around here. I don't have any beans, but a lot of guys are seventy plus, nice eighty plus in that yep. neighborhood, which we never expected. Nope. And. Most of the corn is going over 200. I think mine probably averaged 235. <laughs> and if you'd asked me that in July, I thought we'd we're going to get 180. Very, uh, you know, you would have sold I, it all for 200, I, no I, doubt. But seriously, I go back yeah. to our shows in June and July when corn was rolling up and everything, and guys were panicking. And I'm just like, just calm down. Hopefully, it's okay. It might still turn out good. So to think we had those kind of yields, that's phenomenal. Hey, John, thanks a lot for calling in. Really appreciate it. And Thanks for following up on some stuff we talked about last year. Okay, take care. Thanks, guys. Yep, you too. Thanks. Listening to Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back. Fertilizer prices spiked this year. 
As you plan your fall anhydrous applications, how will you protect that investment? NSERV Nitrogen Stabilizer is the only product with 45 years of proven results. NSERV protects nitrogen below ground where up to 70% of loss happens, keeping it in the root zone for up to eight additional weeks. And NSERV is shown to increase yield potential by an average of 7% when used with fall applications. Don't settle for anything less than the trusted protection of NSERV. For more information, visit nitrogenmaximizers.com. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. It takes a team to beat resistant weeds. Experts agree using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough 5EC is a selective, contact herbicide for post-emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide-resistant strains. Tough 5EC is a perfect teammate, having a synergistic effect with HPBD inhibitors and enhances products in the PS2 group. Make Tough 5EC part of your winning team. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit FelchumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, getting a harvest update, and we would love to hear from you. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head over to North Central Iowa. we get Charlie on with us right now. Charlie, how's it going? It's going good. So how's harvest going in your part of the country? Well, we've had some beautiful weather here. Uh had some real warm. It's kind of about 70 degrees here today, and the uh, harvest is going good. Uh, we're going to finish up on beans uh, for our neighbor this afternoon and go back to picking corn again. You bet. What kind of moisture is the corn at right now? Uh, the driest we've picked, and we haven't picked any for about three days, four days, five, five days, been back on beans. Uh, driest we picked is 14.8, and the west we picked is 18. Oh, wow. Yeah, so everything's pretty much ready to go. Yeah, we've hauled a lot of corn right direct to the ethanol plant. Outstanding. Outstanding. You know, that's one thing. We get a lot of questions from our non-farm listeners about this moisture thing, and, and they say, well, wait a second. If the processors want 15% moisture, why would you take it wet? But but uh, they just have a slight little price adjustment that they make if, if you come in just a little wet of that. Are, are you hauling that 18 right to town, too, or where, where does the ethanol cut you off at? Uh, they'll take 17-plus a little bit to get up to 18 in bulk. But uh, 72, 17, 4, all the, some of that in there, and you get a little discount, but they don't take any shrink. Okay. So that's a big deal, too. Yeah, yeah, that, that absolutely is. So you, you said you're helping a neighbor finish it up on some soybeans. Do you see many soybeans left around you, or is, 
everybody pretty much wrapped up. No, there's a lot of beans down there in Iowa yet, I think. Uh, a lot of these, these that we're doing now are replants that uh, were planted in no-till and the frost got them. And uh, the straw is just tougher than tough. Beans are dry and we're three mile an hour is about as fast as we can go with the combine. And uh, so we're running about half speed, you know, maybe not quite, but of uh, normal, you know, when the bean straw is good and dry. Sure, sure. Are they talking about a frost for you coming up this week? Uh, yeah, I think maybe Thursday night, Friday night. Supposed to get down to 31 night, 32. We had some frost already. I noticed on my seed corn, I grow seed corn down here, and we had some volunteer corn up, and that's all turning brown. So I didn't realize we had that much frost already turn that brown, but it is. Interesting. I didn't. I did not realize that. How? What kind of seed corn crop was it this year? We get with all the supply concerns. We've been telling guys, you know, the seed corn crop actually turned out okay. How about for for your part of the world? Uh, we had an excellent crop. Our yields uh, were fifteen bushel, which on seed corn that's a lot over over budget. What they call budget. Yep. In other words, that's our predicted yield. So, uh, yeah, we had some excellent seed corn, and the pollination on the seed corn is, you know, sometimes you get kernels scattered all over the year. The pollination on the corn this year was looked like field corn. Oh, awesome, awesome. Yeah, that is that is really good to get good quality seed for next year's planting. That that will be a big boom, especially when we get a chance to make a little bit of money on that. I bet uh, the seed corn companies are having to pay up just a little bit for those acres with, with the way the prices have been. I think I think we that'll be all right. <laughs> That's okay. You don't have to give anything away, Charlie. We really appreciate it, though. <laughs> hey, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate the update, and and good luck to you here as you jump back into the corn. All right, thank you. You bet. Let's head over to South Central Wisconsin. We got Alan on with us right now. Alan, how's harvest going over your way? Well, there's everybody. Of course, I'm just growing processing crops. Processing crops are all done now. And but there's fellows doing soybeans and corn. It's good harvest weather now. Yeah. Okay. So on those processing crop fields, what do you do for fall work? Do you do tillage out there? Do you do fertility in the fall? What's the next step? Well, I got like I may do fertility if I. So I've got a couple of them that I've got flagged for that. Some I've done. Some it's going to get done. We I and many of my my fellow producers here use cover crops. So we've got virtually all of our processing cropland growing a cover crop. Oh, excellent. Which What crops work good for you, or do you mix it up depending on what you had in the field? Uh, for a cover crop? Sure, yes. Okay. we uh, A lot of barley, uh, spring barley, is used here. It, it uh, facilitates next year's uh, operations real well. And it's also a little heavier seed if you're going to broadcast it with a spinner spreader. Uh, and then when we get late, uh, I've got I get a I've got a high proportion of night crawlers and uh, a smaller cover crop that's dead in the spring. They'll just uh, eat right up. So then I'll uh, if I don't have much residue, I'll go to winter wheat. So I've got a little winter wheat cover crop also. So what you're saying is if I was going to go fishing over in your part of the world, you might have some fields I could get some night crawlers pretty easy. Oh, yes, yeah, uh, because what I'm doing is is that we're 
uh, establishing a crop. Then we put a, a cover crop in it. Well, under that cover crop, the old residue, the night colors are feeding. Then the next subsequent spring, they'll feed on that uh, cover crop. So they've, they're a little healthier than average. So they, and with limited amounts of tillage, they'll reproduce uh, well. That's awesome. You know, we we were just talking about soil health earlier today. I was having a discussion with our research lead and, and just talking about earthworms and, and how many there were out there in some of these healthy soils. That that speaks well for your soil health. Yes, and the problem that they, is if I have a low residue like snap beans and lima beans, if I put a cover, a barley cover crop late, earlier it's no problem, but late, and the barley doesn't get that big, it, di- over, it dies over winter, and about three weeks after the, the snow goes away, all my cover crop is gone because they took it. <laughs> well, they got to eat. They got to eat, and they're turning it into nutrition. So uh, I, I agree with you that, that you'd kind of like to have a little protection out there longer, but, hey, at least they're turning that into good fertilizer that your next crop will use. Oh, yes. That's why then I'll utilize something overwintering something so that then that way they won't attack it until I kill it. Sure, sure. Okay, talk to us about your canning crops or your processing crops this year. How did stuff turn out? Were there any crops that were standouts? I don't think there was any real standouts. Lima beans, uh, from what they tell me, were generally, uh, they had good yield. Uh, Sweet corn was all over the map. We had wind damage. We had different climatic conditions, and so I, I had a, quite a variability myself as well as many of the processors of high and low yields. Yeah, that uh, is a challenge. That is a challenge when, when you've got – it's bad enough in, in just regular commercial crops, but in processing crops, uh, that leads to a lot of variability. That makes it really tough to have a good food product at the end. Processing peas were extremely variable also – some people, a few, there were a few real high yields. There were some very low yields and some in the middle all over. So uh, at the end, they came out all right on the average, but it depends on if you had your foot in hot water or cold water. <laughs> yep. Yep. How about green beans? Do you raise any green beans? Yes, I have. Well, I have one pivot of green beans I double cropped. So I had early peas and then I double cropped it to. Uh, green beans and they were generally there was some very good yields my yield was reasonably good it wasn't the top or anything but when i combine the two crops i i'm very satisfied well like all those other crops i'm not so sure about the lima beans alan i do eat them but they are they are always my favorite but thank you for growing those we really appreciate that and uh, thanks for the update for harvest really appreciate that thank you i'll tell you a quick lima bean joke Farmer joke, grow lima beans. Nobody will steal them. <laughs> Except my brother, Alan. My brother actually eats them, so he's he's okay with that. He likes Brussels sprouts. He likes lima beans. I don't know. He's he's a little different. I don't like them. I'm just trying to live to 100, so that's all. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks. Thanks a lot, Alan. Uh, all right. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, getting a harvest update, and we'll be right back after this.
Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The Enzone from FarmShop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit farmshopmfg.com for more. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Winter is here, and that means it's the perfect time to improve your farming operation by attending Ag PhD's winter workshops and clinics. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting a bunch of free workshops throughout January and February, with each event focusing on different subjects that all help you make more money on the farm. On January 11th, we start off with a wheat agronomy workshop, followed by two days dedicated to understanding soils and cutting fertilizer expenses. Then on Monday, January 31st, we're dedicating a whole day to drainage and the benefits of tile, followed by our corn agronomy workshop on February 1st. Finally, we'll be discussing soybean agronomy on February 15th, with the next day fully devoted to learning about one of the newest developments in increasing yields across the country, natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information on how to improve your farm, and we can't wait to share it with you. Best of all, all these events are free, so be sure to check them out. Learn more and register at agphd.com. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Getting a harvest update. We'd love to hear how things are going on your farm or in your area, or if you're driving down the road in a different state and you want to give us an update on somewhere that you're traveling to right now, that's fine too. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us radio at agphd.com. Let's head uh, north of the border up to the Saskatchewan-Alberta border. we got Cody with us right now. Cody, which side of that border do you actually live on? I'm on the Saskatchewan side. Is that is that the good side of the border, or do you wish you were on the other side? Well, I don't know. Like, <laughs> you see back in the day, the Alberta side, everybody always said, was a little more prosperous. But now in the last 
few years, I guess it, it, it would be, I would say a wash now. I mean, um, Alberta hasn't been doing too great here. The oil patch has kind of collapsed a little bit and, and, um, they're, they're in, they're in, they're not, you know, as flamboyant as they were at one time, let's put it that way. So. I I just joke about those border wars. We're we're not very far away from the Minnesota border and not that much further from the Iowa border, so we always joke. We always say, oh, we're on the good side of the line. We're on the good side of the line. But I'm sure the folks on the other side might say the same thing. So uh, what what are crops like this year? Do you you have decent crops, or do you have some that that really struggle with some of the weather? It was was a mixed bag all across the board. You know, like um, where we are here and everything, like, uh, up in the northwest corner of the province and and whatnot, you know, I think we probably fared a lot better than what a lot of farms did down in, you know, into Saskatchewan and that. Um, we actually did combine something, but I know there's guys that didn't even take the combines out and everything, and it just, nothing grew. Um, a lot of, you know, some salvage, salvage feed being made and lots of crops getting rolled off even beforehand, but... Um, like we did manage to get, you know, get some crops and everything. And I'd say I was just, you know, thinking before you earlier uh, phoning on here um, that probably canola was, you know, I would say 45, 50% of normal or of regular yield. Um, wheat was about probably 50% or less. In fact, probably it was more like about 40% in normal. And Barley was kind of the funny one. It it actually did quite well, which I don't understand why, but it was probably around 70%, 70, 75% of uh, normal yields. And, um, oh, oats. I didn't even combine any oats. We put them through the baler because they weren't, they weren't uh, drying down standing. It was kind of weird. It was just a weird year, you know. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, you know, some guys, though, I mean, What's that? I was going to say, when crops are under stress, it's just funny how they all respond a little bit differently. Yeah. And like the barley, like usually if something's going to kind of pack it on and pack it in and be a bit of a wimp, it's usually barley, you know. And um, no, this stuff here was actually pretty reasonably decent feed variety that actually did pretty good. And I've kind of played around with different feed varieties over the years. And some of them are a little bit more, a little more uh, tougher than others i guess you could say with you know cold weather or else um you know drought stress and all this but um this one here it actually i was quite happy with it and and whatever but um no like the hard red wheat it it was terrible and for you know my my feelings anyways but yet um i know down the road some other neighbors and stuff mind you on a little bit better ground and everything and i mean they weren't they were probably at about 75, 80% of normal on their yields more or less. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a lot to do with some of the land, I guess, you know, and maybe an extra little, little bit of showers here and there. And, um, and I, I think as well, you know, like background fertility, like I know we're just me and my hired man, we're talking about that the other day, we had a couple fields where better land, better laying land and, you know, last year we, we were pushing for, we, we literally were trying to push for 50, 60 bushel canola. So we were, we were feeding her up at that rate. And as it turned out, the stuff made, maybe if it made 44 bushels or 42 bushels, which I didn't think was no, 
no heck considering how much we invested into it. And that was a particular field where the barley was running 70 bushels to the acre. So, you know, like that was what we were commenting after that, you know, it's that previous fertility that never got used up last year. And being that that stuff was probably more soil available or plant available because it's been in the soil and probably better mineralized sitting over the winter that when, when you, um, go to seed it this or seed a crop this year and you put your regular fertilizer rate on it as well well i think just that little extra bit of nutrition and fertility there probably just give it that little extra bump there to grow through the dry weather better yep yep absolutely well and that is one thing that where some of the yields weren't as good this year if if you fertilize for a hundred percent normal yield and you got fifty percent you're right. That's one little blessing that, okay, I don't like spending extra money on fertilizer for this year, but boy, with fertilizer prices up where they are now, having some of last year's yeah. uh, fertilizer expense is not a bad deal right now that we could benefit from. Yeah. Well, exactly. And like, I never cut my fertilizer back from, like this year, I, I kept it at where I always had it. And I mean, what I put down last year, I put down a pretty good rate and crops were all right in 2020, but they were just a good average. They weren't anything exceptional or anything. And I mean, I, I had a going into this year, my soil tests more or less my, my expectations and the recommendations that they had for fertility was that surprisingly for the most part, a lot less fertility than what I was expecting and what I actually, I put more on than what was actually recommended. So I'm, hopeful that you know the price of fertilizer that it doesn't that maybe a guy can kind of rest on his laurels there a little bit i don't know but. <laughs> well i don't know i we did a lot of soil testing this year and there a lot of that is sitting there and ready to go for next year so we're we're certainly planning on taking advantage of some of that too hey i was curious cody one of the things that that we've had a lot of guys talking about this year is different seeding rates and that they noticed some differences through through a tough year did you do any seeding rate studies at all in any of those crops well, I, I, I guess my, my seeding rate studies are generally the inadvertent one about when the mouse dies in one of the air hoses on the, on the pressure tank and it, uh, you, you know, you're going for two bushel an acre wheat or something like that and you end up going on at a bushel and a bit an acre and then you catch it and you start turning it up and turning it up and you can't figure it out and then you finally find the dead mouse in the darn pressurization line and you clean it out and then everything's going on right. And so, yes, inadvertently I did have a, I had a, a seeding rate uh, experiment there and I definitely, I myself, I, I think it, um, I think it, it definitely uh, paid to seed at a decent rate. And I mean, it's funny because um, they always used to say, you know, in dry years, Oh, don't seed too heavy because it's, you know, it'll choke it out and all this kind of deal. But I mean, I don't know. I think it looked better. It, definitely yielded better where it was seeded a little heavier so interesting yeah you never know how that's going to yeah. go that's why we like doing those studies too just to to see i just had yeah. looked at some yield data that another farmer that we worked with was showing me about his soybeans he tried different populations and and hey it made four or five bushel difference well that's that's worth making a change for when you start seeing something that dollars out like that well and it's the same as like we do like canola and everything we pay quite dearly a pound for canola and I mean, I can remember back in the 80s and everything, I wasn't very old, but 
um, I can remember when we'd be seeding any, you know, five pounds an acre and some guys were still seeding 10 pounds an acre, cleaning their own seed. And, um, then once we started, everybody started buying, buying seed and all this, and, you know, you're getting up to where you're, you know, paying 12, $13 a pound for seed. Um, guys started even cutting below five pounds and everything. And I know a lot of guys, you know, seeding three pounds an acre with an air drill, not, not a planter, an air drill. And I mean, canola is such a small seed. You can get away with seeding at two pounds an acre if everything's perfect. Right. But, um, it, you can sure notice though when you're seeding just with regular air drill and you start getting too, too low, your distribution. Yeah, you're right. Even, even if you get it spread out just perfectly, there's always a bottom end that you can go to. Hey, thanks, Cody. We really appreciate having you on. When it comes to harvest, every kernel counts. And nothing captures more kernels than the new Drago GT or the proven Drago Series 2 corn heads. Both have automatic self-adjusting deck plates, and the new Drago GT features quad suspension deck plate ear shocks for even greater harvest efficiency. Nothing in the field captures more yield. For more information on Drago Cornheads, go to dragotech.com. That's dragotec.com. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. What can you do to build a better wheat crop? I'm Darren Hefty. On Tuesday, January 11th, we're holding a free Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll be discussing how you can make your wheat crop more profitable by going in-depth on topics such as crop protection programs, seed treatment options, fertility requirements, and ways you can make your crop more resistant to stresses like drought and disease. We'll be covering all this and more, so don't miss the Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop. Sign up today at agphd.com. And while you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and soybeans, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There is a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly, partnering with microbes for human benefit.
listening to Ag BHD Radio. Thanks for joining us today, and we're getting harvest updates. We would love to hear from you. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. And this one, I'm pretty, I'm excited about all of them, but this one I'm kind of excited about because our friend Chris out of Wyoming has been sharing some pictures with me all throughout the season as he raises some soybeans in Wyoming. Can you believe it? Yes, that it can be done. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm pretty good. How are you, Darren? Good. Now, I hope I didn't give all that build up for you to say, well, they went 10 bushel, Darren. How, how are you turning out with harvest? <laughs> well, they were better than 10 bushel, but they weren't quite as good as we had hoped, I guess. There were spots that were really good, and spots, they got too dry on us, and uh, I don't know, the pods started popping open, so I don't know. They, they tell us it's because of our super dry climate. I don't know. It's been in the 90s, most of, even into October, so it's just too hot, and I think it may have affected them, but we learned a lot. It was a good experience for our first time, and and, uh, and we had some spots that were really doing good, so we proved we can do it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, how, oh, so it's been just hot out there all the way through with irrigation. I mean, you can you can add water, but there's some times where it just needs to cool off. Have you gotten some frost now and kind of cleaned everything up? So we did finally get our first frost last week, so the 14th. So last year it froze the first time the 7th of September. And this year we got our first frost on the 14th of October. So this was way, I mean, way better. But, you know, we had some edible beans and they just weren't very good because it's just too hot all year. And, and the soybeans were, uh, I guess, average. And the alfalfa made a little bit easier to put up. But we really haven't had any moisture at all since Memorial Day until last week. We had done a little bit of corn and and then it rained, and then it snowed like a blizzard. So we have snow drifts as tall as the corn on the ends of most fields. So let's put a kibosh on trying to get much done for now. Hoping it'll melt out before too long. Yeah, it was crazy. I know on the western side of South Dakota, they, they had snow as well. And I remember last week we were talking to a professor at Montana State, and I asked how it was going. He said, well, I'm looking out my window at four inches of fresh white snow. And I thought, no, it can't be, it can't be. But sure enough, it, it came on through. We didn't get it this far east, uh, but it won't be too long, and I'm sure we will. It was wet, heavy stuff. It was almost like a slush storm, and there was thunder and lightning, and everything, you name it, it was in it, and it was in every different direction. And, but, I mean, it is, the corn we had done was really doing good. It was working fun, and then uh, – and the corn was still green on the bottom, and it was 16 moisture, so that just didn't happen in, in Wyoming. And so that was fun to get around the combine in that. And so now it looks like normal dead corn, so <laughs> we're kind of just fun off of that. But I don't know. We really – the beans weren't real great. Our pinnel beans weren't real great with all the heat. And so we weren't expecting, honestly, a whole lot out of the corn. But, you know, the monitor is the monitor, but I've seen over 300 for the first time ever. So that was kind of wow. exciting to see that out of a 95 day corn. So. Yeah, that I, I appreciate that last comment too, a 95 day hybrid. And I, I know the guys raising the 110, 15, 20 day stuff. They think it, maturity is needed to, to get all that yield, but there's some pretty good yield potential in some of this early corn too. Uh, it's been a, it's pretty interesting looking uh, corn. I mean, it was a newer variety. It was kind of the best one in our test bar last year. And and we saw it tasseling, like, I think the 10th of July. So it was early, and it just was ahead the whole year, and awesome test weight, and pretty fun to watch. And 
so. I mean, the whole field ended up our best for a field. It was our best average we've ever had out of a field. So. Fun to do. It wasn't really what we were expecting. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's nice to get those pleasant surprises. Uh, but I think one of the keys there, you mentioned that it was still green, that you still had green leaves out there all the way down to 16% moisture until you got your frost. So that's a good sign, too, that you had decent plant health. That was, yeah, it was fun to watch. The corn's all standing straight up. I mean, the ears aren't flipped down. We're just used to that here because normally the corn doesn't mature. It dies because of frost, and it just it doesn't work that way. And so it was really fun to watch it mature all the way down, and, and the head was just mowing everything off. So, I mean, just a different environment out here where we're trying to deal with all kinds of different uh, adventures and different adversities. But so we got started. I mean, we, we're trying to finish up some alfalfa today before we're I don't know, talking some more rain tonight. So we go all this time being super dry, and now we're fighting rain. And trying to finish it down. <laughs> that's that's the way it goes, no doubt about that. Well, and you mentioned that snow too. I heard a lot of guys say there was a lot of moisture, like you said, it was heavy, wet stuff. Do you, what do you figure you got out of that snow? Another half inch or more? We had an inch and a half to two inches. Oh my god! We haven't goodness. had that much since May. Wow. Period. We just have it, and, and our watersheds, we took everything down. They shut off the water supply the 1st of September, so that's about 10 days earlier than normal. And in order to save a little bit for next year, we've basically taken everything down to nothing, so we need some water. We need some snow to replenish the water supply there in our North Platte drainage. And so we had we had good supply, and I was looking at some of the, four, the rates, so on up towards the middle of Wyoming. It was up to 400% of normal for this time of year, so, I mean, Obviously, it's an early storm, so that's a good thing. And, yeah. and they're talking up to 24 inches tonight again in those same places. So we're off to a good start of trying to replenish that. So that's encouraging. There you go. Optimism for next year. We're talking with Chris out in the state of Wyoming. Well, Chris, uh, congratulations on the awesome corn yield and, and for doing your best on those soybeans all through the year. And, and uh, good luck here with the rest of harvest. All right. Thank you very much. You bet. Good. Uh, let's head over to Kentucky. We've got Jed with us right now. Jed, how you doing? Oh, good, Darren. How are you? Pretty good. All right. So you heard Chris throwing out some big numbers. What What's the harvest like down in Kentucky? Well, it's all good. Uh, we've been thoroughly blessed this year with a great amount of rain and a good corn stand. Uh, we've had some uh, probably average, above average corn crop, and uh, started getting into some of our April planted beans here the last two weeks ago or so, and uh, they've been... Uh, better than we expect, expect them to be so uh less than that aspect as well excellent excellent yeah it's it's good when you actually hit a year where you have decent prices and you get a good crop it doesn't happen very often in farming but uh that's that's pretty cool when you look in in your area right now are are guys coming along pretty well with harvest yeah we're coming along good uh still uh you know we've dried every i guess every bushel of corn we've had it's gone into the bin and and that just kind of tells you how good of a, a year we've had down here in Kentucky where we've had to keep our dryers going because uh, it hadn't naturally dried down very well, which is fine. Um, a lot of soybeans out, but majority of the corn, I would say maybe 20% is left in the field now. Yeah, I know Brian talks about that a lot. He'd, he'd rather see it stay green longer. That's a great sign. You're taking more stuff in with those plants and hopefully getting more yield. So uh, I, I don't think we'd be worried about that either if that corn stayed healthy and, and we had to do a little bit of drying. It usually means we're going to have the yield to pay for it. I agree. The, the, the gas has been a little high this year, but uh, glad to at least have a good corn crop to be run through those dryers. 
You bet. So what happens in Kentucky then after corn and soybean harvest here? Is there time for a cover crop? Is that a normal thing? Are guys doing tillage? What what goes on next? Well, well, I, well um, this week, actually, and last week, we'll start our, our winter wheat crop planting. We'll go on the ground, and any cover crop that'll go. And there's been some rapeseed sown and some other um, commodities, and then any cover crop which should go in the next two weeks. Sure, sure. Or, or three. Yep, yep. You guys probably still have some time on that winter wheat crop. I know up here, guys, guys want to be all done and and have it in the ground. Hopefully, have a decent start right now. We're running out of warm days up here, but what are what are you still getting down in Kentucky? Are you getting some heat yet? Uh, we're actually finally last few days we had some uh, forty degree mornings, which has been the uh, kind of change to put the switch on the weather. Last week we were in the eighties and uh, still pretty warm. So uh, glad to see the cooler weather get here. Yeah, yeah, it feels a little bit more like fall, that's for sure. Well, Jed, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on here. Good luck. I know you got a lot of stuff going on with harvest and, and getting that winter wheat crop in, so thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Have a safe day. Thank you. You bet. You as well. Yeah, a lot of stuff going on in fields, and I know for uh, uh, for people in different areas of the country, it's kind of nice to hear what's happening in other places. You probably heard Chris talking in Wyoming about snow, and boy, you don't want to hear that word too early in the season, but it's reality, especially as you get up into the into the north and into some of the elevations that, that that's going to be coming. And a lot of times, like at our farm, we, we look at Halloween as that cutoff of once you get past Halloween, anything could happen in terms of weather, so... We'll see how it goes here in a couple of weeks. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back after this. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. <sighs> Makes life simple, and it's a secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plan, do you think you could cut your farm's fertilizer expenses? Maybe you could increase your yields. Why not both? I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're devoting two full days to our Ag PhD Soils Clinic this year, January 12th and 13th at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the most important two days that you spend in your farming career, and it's all free. So register now at agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. What's new from New Farm? 
Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. Weeds rob you of yield potential, so rob them of the chance to grow with powerful corn herbicide solutions from Corteva AgriScience. Weeds won't know what hit them, but you will. Because you can count on all the top corn herbicide products, including Resicor, SureStart 2, and Keystone NXT, to effectively control weeds, you can spend less time worrying about unwanted yield-robbing plants and power on. Learn more at poweroverweeds.com power. Keystone NXT is a restricted-use pesticide. Hey everybody, come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio and we are in the Ag PhD Mailbag time. If you're a first-time listener, that means we're taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. But we're going to dig into some of these emails as well coming in at radio at agphd.com. I want to start with this one from Kurt in Wisconsin about drain tile. He said, I want to give you guys my drain tile story. I started the process in 2017 after listening to many of your shows talking about the benefits of tile and what you and I would call a drainage ditch on the property the DNR had marked as a Class two trout stream. So battled with them for a long time. They told me no chance. Uh, but finally, uh, to make a long story short, after three years, they finally performed a fish study, and they removed the trout designation. It wasn't an easy battle, uh, and we got our tile lines put in October of last year. And I'm sending you some pictures here. I'll hand you the pictures, Brian. Yeah, I already saw them. I know Brian enjoys uh, looking at tiling yep. photos. Yep. And he said, uh, I'm expecting 30 to 35 bushels better yield than my previous field best. And at today's prices, obviously, the payback is going to be as little as two years. So about a month or so ago, Darren was asking folks what they like best about their tile. I can tell you what I enjoyed most this year was not having to get out my two-row planter to replant this field. So thanks for all the info uh, and, and all the support on the tile. Hey, thanks, Kurt. Really appreciate hearing those stories. That's awesome. So, Darren, when I saw this email come in, I was actually talking to an agronomist in North Dakota. And ironically, he was talking to me about how, here's what he said. He goes, the agronomist in North Dakota. He goes, all right, so these guys have a salt problem and they don't want to tile. And I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> let me just stop you right there. <laughs> That's the problem. Because I said, I know the, I know the area, I know the ground. Um, unless you tile, there is no fix. But anyway, the agronomist question in North Dakota was, do you think gypsum will help? And I go, no, gypsum's not going to help. I said, chances are it's already high calcium soil, and it's probably already loaded up with sulfur because it's poor drainage. I said, send me a soil test to confirm that. But I said, the odds that gypsum is going to help, slim to none, uh, unless there's something completely off that I don't understand about that that I'd be very surprised by. But you got a tile. And I know it costs some money, and more than that, it's just the hassle that you have to go through a lot of times, just like he was saying. How many years did it take, Darren? Three years? Three years. Right. So back in, let's see, 2007, I think it was, I started working on that stuff on our farm. 
And it took until 2011 before I had all of our approvals. And I worked on it a lot. I mean, like hundreds of hours every year, not on the putting the tile in the ground side, but on the talking to neighbors, talking to the highway departments, talking to the NRCS, talking to anybody that I had to to get the projects done. And yeah, in some cases, we didn't go with my original plan. We went with somebody else's plan uh, just to appease some neighbors or the county or whatever. But we got everything all done eventually. So you just have to devote some time and energy to it. But it's so worthwhile. And anyway, the funny thing, when I was talking to this agronomist from North Dakota, I just said, you know, right now we have really good commodity prices and the odds are corn is going up in price because nobody wants to plant corn with the fertilizer prices that we see today. But anyway, I just said I lucked out because when we were putting a lot of this tile in it was right when commodity prices were going up back you know, 2008 to 2012. So in some cases, some of those years, we had $7 corn and we paid for the tile in one year. Not three years, not five years, not 10, not 20, one year. Paid for it in one year. And we've reaped the rewards ever since. But we talk so passionately about this because it's just been an absolute game changer on our farm. And for the thousands of farmers we've worked with where they've put tile in some of them for the first time they all go wow that's awesome (laughs) so anyway it's just it's so life-changing and just like in in this case the two pictures that i'm looking at here one looks horrific and the other looks like some of the greatest corn that i've ever seen in my life and that's just one year apart just imagine when you get down the road a while, that's that's typically what we've seen. Yeah, year one is good. Year five's much better. Year 10's fantastic. So well, I just think of the soil health get it improvements done. over time. That exactly. doesn't happen overnight. Well, and Kurt sent a couple more pictures, and these are going to look eerily familiar, Brian. This is white mold, and Kurt said uh, one other note here. And if a couple of questions, I didn't think this was a white mold year, but you can see in this picture, 25 of the 25 of the 80 acres in this field caught white mold. It's a low lying area with a history of manure injection. And he said, get a couple of things. I've got contans in the freezer. That's a biological product to treat for white mold. And I was planning to spray it after the beans are off. And I'm going to get ready for, I'm going to have corn next year in there and then beans in there in 2023. That yep. way it'll give it time to work. Yep. So just a couple questions about how to handle that. And then I got a fertility question too. Said, so I've got well water that's a 7.5 pH. <laughs> should I treat that water? If so, what should I target for a pH to spray the contents? Okay. So we've talked a lot about water treatments So you don't hurt biological products. And yes, that's essential. So for me, I'm for sure putting it, the product we use is called water, right? Costs very little. I mean, you're talking a few cents an acre. It gets it down in the five and a half, six pH range. But it's not just that. It's not just the pH. It's tying up the calcium, the magnesium, the iron, uh, the copper. I mean, things that can and will often hurt soil microbes and hurt natural microbes that you're trying to apply to the soil, like in this case, contents. The other one we often talk to people about is if you're using, let's say it's rural water, municipal water, where there's chlorine in there, you have to get that treated. So the product we use there is BioPrep. That costs 
pennies per acre. It's nothing. But get that treated, then you'll have the best results with any biological you're going to use, like contents. Okay, uh, i got to be quick here because i got several more here. Uh, you said, if I can time the application to get a rain the following day, is that good enough, or do I need to put some light tillage to this? No, just spray it out there. You don't even have to worry about rain or, or tillage or anything. Just spray it out there. It'll be fine. Okay. He said, if I do get more manure, either in the spring of 2022 or fall of 2022, uh, and till the ground again, would you recommend reapplying contans? No. Just one time. Okay. And then he said, the other question I've got is on manganese. We use DTPA extraction methods, and we've got 10 to 15 parts per million of manganese. Is there a rate I should target, or what would you recommend? I don't trust the DTPA test on manganese. We've been talking about that lately on the show, that we've switched to Malik 3 tests, especially for manganese. So I think that's a lot more accurate. So I, I just wouldn't trust it. So I, I, I'm not confident in that that result. What I do is at least take a couple of spots, go test those, retest them, do it with a Malik 3 test. It's way cheaper than, than your other test anyway. Find out what those manganese levels are. On a Malik 3, we're usually shooting for 50 plus in terms of parts per million. Okay. And then his last thing he said with manganese, are you noticing low manganese areas having wor- worse white mold or is it a topography thing? where the white mold is at, or any well, other soil test. Yeah, I mean, the the manganese, there's absolutely a correlation between manganese and white mold. So if you have good manganese levels, you're less likely to have white mold. But I can't tell you if you have good manganese levels or not with the DTPA test. And in terms of anything else, I haven't really seen anything. Yeah, lower areas are more affected, but let's face it. Think about on anybody's farm. The lower areas a lot of times have higher fertility levels and they have better soil. So that only makes sense that the beans are bigger, more lush, higher yielding. That's where white mold usually strikes. So what we've been doing is hitting those areas with cobra, with a couple of shots of fungicide at least, things like that. And uh, you can thin the population out a little bit, go for a shorter bean. That's really, really important. I mean, there are, it takes several steps, and you can get by without having too much white mold issue. All right. Uh, Luke asks, if I, if I send you some soil test results, would you be willing to help teach me how to interpret them? Yep. You know what, Luke? We'd sure take a look at them, and we do also offer our workshops in the winter. You can check that out at agphd.com. Free workshops. So you get to spend a whole day, and you'll have agronomists right there you can ask questions of the whole way through. And that's a, that's a great way to learn as well, and you'll get some practice also. But you can sure send us some soil tests, and we can get started. Uh, and then Larry said, last week you were discussing potassium requirements for 300 bushel corn of 400 pounds. Of that, 300 is for the stover. So if the stovers work back in the soil, are we then talking about 100-pound demand for potassium going forward? Well, the, the problem is it takes that 400 to raise the crop. So it's fine to talk about crop removal or grain removal if all you take away is the grain and that's 100 pounds, but you got to have 400 pounds to produce the crop. And so what we were talking about is minimum soil test levels, and so that's why you have to have so much in the soil test. All right, thanks for the questions. We really appreciate that. And thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.